everyone, and welcome back to Chaburash Yur. Today we have with us the privilege and pleasure to have Rabbi Yosef Sarnigian. We're going to be exploring insights into Jewish identity from the Teshuvot of Chacham Ben Zion Uziel. A little bit about our speaker. Rabbi Yosef Zarnikian is the assistant rabbi of the Spanish and Portuguese Kahal Kadosh Mikveh Israel in Philadelphia. Uh, he was born and raised in Great Neck, New York. Prior to graduating from Queens College with a degree in economics, he pursued the rabbinic path of his great-grandfather by studying under Rabbi Chaim Sabato and Rabbi Nahum E. Rabinovitz of Nordebracha. Rabbi Zarnikian subsequently received semicha from Rabbi Sam Kassin and Rabbi Yaakov Peretz of the Shehebar Sephardic Center in Jerusalem. He serves his country as a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force Reserve and also works as a translator of medieval Sephardic Jewish texts from the Shehakov Project. Uh, thank God we had Rabbi Zeranikin with us many times in the past, and I highly recommend to check out uh, those shiurim. Um, we are praying for the safety and uh, for the for the quick, uh, peaceful uh, solution to all of the situation. And may our learning today be a zahut for all of our soldiers and for all of the people who are uh, who need health and for all of our um, hostages. And with that said, the floor is yours, Rabbi. Thank you so much. Amen. Kenny Rasson should be a support for all of our brethren in Medinat Israel. And um, with everyone's permission, I am going to begin screen sharing. <clears throat> so we begin with the Teshuvot or Lesion. Or Sion, which is our focus for today, was authored by Agaon Arabension Abashaul Abshalom. Arabension Abashaul, dear to my heart, because for those who know me, I'm Persian, he was Persian. So among the Persian Kachamim, he uh, he definitely stands out as perhaps one of the most towering. Until today, he also serves as the basis of 20th slash 21st century uh, Teshuvot, the source of halakha for many Persian communities around the world. The Teshuvah that we're going to study today pertains to the status of Gerim, converts to Judaism who later, uh, later disavow or de facto present themselves as disavowing Jewish practice and Jewish life. What exactly does it mean to disavow? And at what point do we draw that line? Is going to be the bulk of the Teshuvah. But one of the things I want to point out as a, as a disclaimer before we begin is A, this stance of Acham Ben Sion, generally speaking, and I, I say generally speaking because I only have anecdotal evidence, in my experience, is not the normative position that's adopted among most Batedin, most rabbinical courts that administer Giur and that tend to matters of conversion. Um, it is adopted by some, and for that reason, it's it's important to study it because of the fact that the, because of the fact that this is the standard procedure among some Batedin, and B because it's uh, a uh, well-thought-out and thorough teshubah and decision of a great chacham that is worthy of study, in my opinion. A little bit about the life of chacham, of chacham ben Sion. He was born to two Persian parents who immigrated from Iran to Yerushalayim. He grew up in Eretz Israel, from, from, uh, born in, I believe, 1924, passed away in 1998. 
Uh, unfortunately, towards the end of his life, he, he was uh, in, in a very um, fragile state of health. He's perhaps known as the Oker Harim counterpart to the Sinai side of Chacham Wadia. What Chacham Wadia Yosef of blessed memory had in his encyclopedic knowledge, Chacham Ben Sion was famous for complimenting him in his very sharp and profound skill of iyum, of analysis. Uh, we're going to see the common theme in, in Chacham Ben Sion's Teshuvot, unlike that of Chacham Vadya, whether that's in his Yabiya Omer or the Yechadeda, you're not going to see too many sources quoted. You're not going to see uh, the buffet of Bechen Katab, and so writes this Chacham and that Chacham. Chacham Ben Sion is pretty traditional in that he sticks to the primary sources, the sources in the Talmud, the sources in the Tosefta, the Yushami, the Rishonim, and some Acharonim. He, in addition to Orla Sion, he also authored other works, some of which are insights into his Chidushim on uh, different Masechtod in in, uh, the Talmud. And he also wrote a wonderful work of Musar that is widely studied uh, among many circles. Having said that, we're going to begin on the left-hand side over here. And Chacham Sion begins as follows. This is, by the way, for a point of reference, volume one of Orla Sion, Siman Yodbet. Here he's giving you the case where it's a generic case. It's not a Maaseh It's a broad case that Chacham uh, Sion is ruling on as a general rule regarding a person who converts to Judaism but does not act in accordance with Minhag Yisrael. Is he, from the point of view of law, considered a convert or not? What's the question over here? So Chacham Ben-Sion begins by saying that I saw it fit to investigate this topic. Nowadays, again, you have to remember when he's writing this. He's writing this presumably in the mid nineteen hundred, in the mid-1900s. Perhaps in the in, in the sixties or seventies, Sherabim Hem Enamit Nahim Kedinea Torah Ramiswot. You have a lot of converts, many of whom are, are not observant. In other words, there's there's a very important point over here to, to be uh, observant of, to pick up on. The question that's being raised is not so much on the procedural standards of the Beddin. The Beddin in question, hundred percent kasher. The question is on the conduct of the converts. Is there, do they have the status of righteous converts or not, or not? Why do we care about this question? Can he marry a Jew or Jewess? And likewise, this question also applies for women. Can the women, such women, marry uh, Jewish men? Um, can they be relied on for various things? Do they have the status of Nida, etc., etc.? Now, Hacham Ben Sion begins by adopting the position that most people already assume. At first glance, he says it's possible to say, since the Bedin was done through a bona fide and recognized Bedin procedurally, there were no shortcuts, everything was handled in accordance with the law. They informed the convert of the 
the, the principles of uh, of Jewish law and belief. Um, the, the Talmud in Masechet Yevamot, as we're going to elaborate on shortly, uh, gives the minimum criteria being that of mixat misot kalot, mixat misot hamurot. You have to inform the ger of some what we call severe misot and some minor misot. Shabbat, Awadazara, these are big things. Minor mitzvot as well, you know, men, you have to wear tefillin, you have to wear sisit, women, you have, you have uh, uh, your own laws that, that pertain to you as well, laws that pertain to both men and women, and etc., etc. Once the sample of the mitzvot, the digest of the mitzvot, are presented to the uh, prospective converts, the bedin, based on their judgment, is able to um, go forward with the with the with the conversion with the gibul. So at first glance, it, it seems like the betin followed these standards, and there shouldn't be a question. the like I like I just mentioned, uh, presents the, uh, this being the criteria needed for a valid conversion. Maimonides also rules like this in chapter fourteen of the Laws of Yisurah Biyah. Maran in the Shulchan Aruch in Yoradeah Siman Resh Samechet. Um, that's the, the famous siman that uh, deals with conversions, as well as the following siman thereafter. He says, Even though this convert may, in the recesses of his or her heart, believe to not want to take everything on, at the end of the day, they inform the, the, the Betin that they do wish to take everything on. What they believe they're going to actually fulfill uh, as far as practice of the Miswad in the recesses of their hearts, should seem irrelevant. Because we adopt the canon, it's a rule in Halakha, the Gemaran Kedushin, states a very famous rule, matters of the heart are null and void. Meaning, for, the, for legal purposes, when a person is uh, delivering a statement, an affidavit, a testimony in front of a Din, in this case, the acceptance of the mitzvot for the convert, we care about what that individual is saying. Right? That's why we have a concept of perjury in halakha. You can perjure yourself, which is a serious crime. So and anybody can get away with perjury if they just say, oh, I didn't mean it. Right? So we don't, we don't care about your words. Excuse me, we don't care about your intents. We care about your words. And therefore, if, if such a convert is no longer observant, we don't say he's not a Jew or she's not a Jew. We just say he's a Israel Muman. He's like any other Jew in the world who's gone off the path and they need to do Teshuvah. But they could still get married. They could still, they still have to observe the laws of Nidah. If they're a married couple, they still have to keep Shabbat, etc., etc. In, um, uh, in, 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 among the Shelot Shuvot Achiezer, this is also the position that's adopted. And uh, this is for all intents and purposes, according to Chacham Ben Sion, one approach. He says, This is going to be the thesis of Chacham Ben Sion's position. In his view, such a convert has the status of a Safek Ger, i.e. a Safek Yehudi. What on earth does that mean? How could you be a doubtful Jew? So he's going to explain. 
As God willing, I'm going to explain. We have to introduce the first defense for this position from the Gman Bechorot. The Gman Bechorot, I'll uh, explain that Gemara outside, talks about an incident of Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina was a Kohen. And as we know, Kohanim, among their regular duties, also have the occasional privilege to administer Pidyon HaBen. You have a firstborn male to a couple, they come before the Kohen, they redeem him for the Hanisha Silaim, the, what is roughly estimated to be 100 grams worth of silver, and we throw a lavish ceremony for the redemption. There's an incident with a particular parent who was a cheapskate, and he didn't want to actually give over the Hanisha Selanim to the to, to Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina was the administering Kohen. They honored him with the Pidyon Aben. And he was going back and forth. The Gemara says he was walking back and forth, back and forth in front of him with the indication that he was antsy. He, he wanted his money back. And Rabbi Hanina says, I'm sorry, because of what you just did, you know, I was going to give your money back to you. The Kohen has a right to do that. But because of your petty eagerness to want to, to, to uh, anticipating that I would pay you back, he says, this pidyon is not valid. Why isn't it valid? That's going to be uh, a question that we'll, we'll deal with in one second, which Hakan Ben Sion ties into the case of the conversion. But he goes on and says that Maimonides, Hanbam, in the laws of the Purim, says as follows. He says, If the Kohen saw the guy wants his money back, and because of that he actually gave the money back to him, then the Pidyon is not valid. Because the transaction was never made in good faith. And he says, Direct quote. The father should not give to the Kohen with the intent that the father should return, or excuse me, that the Kohen should return the silver. If he in fact did this, criterion A, criterion B, and he did return it, I apologize. The pidyon is not, the redemption of the firstborn is not valid until he intends to give the currency or the money to the Kohen as a full-fledged gift. Okay. This presents itself to be problematic. Why is this a problem? Tamitzion says, Vekashe. Problem is, Demabekah. What difference does it make if the father had in mind that the Kohen is going to give the money back or not? At the end of the day, the Gemara is not talking about a case where dad goes to the Kohen and says, Mr. Kohen, Rabbi Hanina in this case, I would like to redeem my firstborn son from you, but... I want you to know, I don't really want to do this. I'm giving you the uh, 100 grams of silver, and you better give it back to me or else. 
he pulls a a a, a mafia slogan on him and, ex- and expects the money to be returned. Fine. If that's the case, there's no debate. Everybody agrees there was no matana uh, gemura, and so it's not the the transaction is not valid. Just like any transaction is invalid if you intend to be repaid immediately. So I understand that, but here, the guy is not saying anything. He's just antsy. He's walking back and forth. As far as we know, as far as what is revealed to us, the guy is giving the Kohen all the, uh, he's giving him the the Hamisha Silaim, he's giving him the silver, and it's a done deal. So why shouldn't we apply the previous rule in Halakha? We don't care about what's, what's in the guy's heart. So that question is raised. And Ramen Sion says that it's, uh, uh, Tosafot over there raises this very question. And Tosafot raises two possible um, resolutions to this. Resolution A, Tosafot says, bistam. Even though the, the guy gave it to uh, the Kohen without specifying his intentions, so Zafot says, you could claim that there is an exception to the rule where it is obvious to us. Where it is obvious through behavior, through body language, if you will, that the individual didn't mean to transact with the Kohen sincerely, then this overrides, or rather the clause, the canon of Devarim Shebalev and Am Devarim, person's inner tensions don't matter, does not apply here. Because Devarim Shebalev and Am Devarim, according to Resolution A of Tosafot, only applies where we don't have evidence presenting to the contrary. That is the modus operandi of how we perceive uh, a person's statements, a person's testimony, when it is generic, where I don't have any reason to suspect that there are ulterior motives, or different intentions. But if I suspect something else, then that overrides this. And he says, This is a case that Maron talks about of a person who makes a transaction and he, he makes he sells an item, let's say he sells his home or he sells his property, and he, he does so not because he really wants to sell and say move to another house, but because the guy needs the money, he needs to pay off a loan or something along those lines. He's desperate for cash. And later the money is, it comes to him through uh, some other means. Borei Olam helps him out and and he finds a a benefactor to pay off his debt. And now he doesn't need to sell his property. So uh, perhaps it's it's similar to the case over there where we do, where where we say that the person's, according to one view in the Talmud, the person's transaction um, is is negated. It's a nullified transaction because it was apparent and obvious to everybody that he only did this for the money. He wasn't being really sincere in his uh, transaction from the get-go. And Ramenzion uh, adds, from the fact that Tosafot equate this uh, case of the redeeming the firstborn to the the real estate case that I just discussed, it's apparent that Rabbi Hanina saw the same thing in that guy. 
in the father. He didn't intend to give the money to the Kohen with sincerity. It was obvious through his uh, panting and through his uh, uh, anti-behavior. Dumia, uh, similar to the case of, of, of the real estate um, the real estate case in Masechet Ketubos. The Ayur v'kahagavna shayu dvarim let kol adam kevar b'shat amkira. Because we're dealing here with a case where it is apparent that this was what it was in his heart to begin with at the time of the transaction. Um, I'll go on one more paragraph and then I'll, I'll stop in case there are any uh, immediate pressing questions uh, so that everything is clear. Tangential questions I'd like to wait uh, to be discussed at the end, but if something is unclear, uh, in what I'm reading, I'll take that in one moment. So, Hamid Sion goes on. I'm going to skip two paragraphs. Uh, from the paragraph of Ulam. Hamid Sion says, Ulam, based on the passage in Maimonides that we read earlier, it seems that he does not adopt this position of Tosafot. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I, I missed one point. One point in, in Tosafot, which was a, a second point that he raises, is all is that um the the pidyon is only negated if Rabbi Hanina were to return the money uh, in, in, in reality, if he were to physically act on the urges of the father. But without acting on the urges of the father, then we don't consider the father's intentions alone to mean anything. So now Hafan ben Sion has to decide what Harambam's position is in light of this uh, these two approaches of Tosafot. So he says that Maimonides apparently holds that the pidyon does not take hold for the following reason. For he writes, who the father should not give to the Kohen, the intent that he is going to give the money back. And if he does so, and he returns it to him, his son, we, this is a repeat of what we said earlier, his son is not redeemed until he agrees to give it to him with a full-fledged heart. This is the this is the point that Chacham um, Ben Sion is deriving the implication that he is deriving from Chacham Ben Sion from Harambam's remarks. Umim from the fact that Harambam concludes vechatam shelo yiten lo v'da'ato sheyaksir he should not give to the Kohen with his meaning the father's intention that the Kohen return it. And he says, he, Harambam does not specify, he doesn't add the clause that it has to be apparent that uh, this is the case at the time when he was giving it. He says it's apparent from Harambam's position that even if he was the only one in the world to, to, to know his own intentions, that he didn't intend to give this as a full-fledged gift to the Kohen, 
the pidyon still does not take hold because, well, we're going to see in a second why, but unlike Tosafot that held that it has to be apparent, for Harambam, that is not a requirement. Vim ken kasher. This presents itself as a difficulty. Because at the, at the end of the day, we still hold that matters of the heart are null and void in a court of law. See, Tosafot said the only exception to one of the exceptions to the rule of matters of the heart are null and void is if I have evidence, if I have proof that there is some ill intent or ulterior motive to the contrary. But for Harambam, based on this reading of Harambam that the Convention is presenting, I don't even need evidence presenting to the contrary. It's enough that in the depths of his heart, with no evidence to the contrary, this guy doesn't want to give the gift to the Kohen um, in, a, in a sincere manner. So, that leaves us with the original question now. How do I resolve this issue of Devarim Shivalev and Amdevarim? Uh, as we're going to see momentarily, this is relevant for our case because at the core of things, that's really what we are concerned for when we're dealing with the convert. When the convert says, yeah, yeah, Rabbi, I accept all the mitzvot. Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, do you understand that once you convert, you're going to have to adopt all the laws of Shabbat. It carries a severe prohibition. It's a capital crime if you violate Shabbat knowingly. Do you realize you're going to have to observe very strict laws of Nidah, the laws of Kashrut? They're so intricate. You're, you're going to have the world turned upside down. Yeah, yeah, Rabbi, I understand. Everything is, uh, as you say, I accept it. No problem, no problem. So, okay, I mean... The Bedin can accept this testimony and they can go forth with it. But based on the on where we currently stand with what Harambam says, such a conversion, if it's just blanket and empty, okay, okay statements, presents itself as a serious problem for the conversion to take hold. Potentially at the cost of nobody even knowing, which is very serious. So before we move on, any questions about just the basic words that we have read so far? Okay. So Chacham Ben Sion resolves this issue. Chacham Ben Sion takes one obscure Gemara and resolves it with another obscure Gemara. You see, this is what I was talking about earlier when I said his method is to stick to the primary sources and to resolve contradictions and dilemmas uh, that are scattered throughout the Talmud um, through his analysis of the primary sources as opposed to quoting from the buffet of uh, sources that Tachamu Vadiyah would tend to do. So the Gemara Chudin Daf Lamed Keta Mudalev talks about, presents a machloket between Rabbi Yochanan and Resh Lakish. Rabbi and pupil. What was the debate? The debate was about the status of Shechitan. I have an animal. Kai has an animal. Does Shechitan the animal? But he intends to sacrifice, or excuse me, slaughter this animal for sacrificial purposes that are not so kosher. Uh, he, he intends to uh, sprinkle the blood for 
foreign worship and to offer the fat and limbs and what have you for foreign worship. Rabbi Yochanan says, I'm sorry, you cannot partake in this, even if the Sharita is 100% good. Rish Lakish, a student, held otherwise. He held, no, it's, it's Kashem. The root of the debate being what? Basically, the root of the, the, the debate pertains to whether or not we derive Shechita procedures from the laws of Korbanot. Normally, we assume that Shechita is it's not an Abudah. Uh, so if it's not a form of formal worship in the Beit HaMikdash, it should be excluded from the laws pertaining to sacrificial offering. Yerbi Yochanan, for reasons I won't get into right now, held otherwise, and uh, he held that the the meat is not only unfit to be eaten, you also cannot derive benefit from it. You can't sell it, you can't derive any, any sort of benefit from it. Okay, why is this important? This is important because as a follow-up to this discussion, the Gemara says there's a beraita, there's, there's a, a, con- a concurrence from an earlier source that supports the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. And uh, the Gemara talks about a case slightly different. It says, Shachata Let's say the guy intended to do shakita. He did the shakita. No ill intent at the time of the slaughtering. But after the slaughtering, he said, you know what? It would be a great idea to offer this, this beautiful lamb to a Greek god or to some, some, some pagan entity. In Caesarea, this Rabbanan de Kisrin, this was the prestigious court that the Talmud Yerushalmi often quotes, the court of Caesarea. And this case was presented before them. They did not rule one way or the other. The halakha follows Rabbi Yochanan in the first case. The first case pertains to slaughtering with the idolatrous intentions at the time of the slaughtering. This case is a little different. The second case, the second case is discussing uh, the, the ill intentions after the fact. Post facto, I want to give it to a foreign deity. Why did the court not resolve this issue? Ela amara mishum ben gamiel It's because of a deference that the court gave for the opinion of Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel in another source. Um, the source is, and this is the part that's relevant for us, Let's say you have a guy who's passing away, and in his will, he's writing off all of his assets to, to other people, not to his kids. And among his assets, he has some servants. The Amar... Regarding these servants, I, I have no, no care for them. I don't care for them. I, I'm, not, I'm not really including them in my, um, in, in my will. They're, they're meaningless. Now, the question is, what do we do with this statement? Everything else is being written off. But these servants are not. 
אם היה רב אושני כהן, if the individuals that are requiring this um, package of, of assets, if among them there is a כהן and he acquires them, הרי אלו אוכלים בתרומה. The servants may eat תרומה, meaning their property of the כהן. רבן שמעון בן גמליאל אומר, this is the opinion we want to focus on, כיוון שאמר, since the guy said, הלאה אי אף שבהן, I don't care about these servants, כבר זכו בהן יורשים. The inheritors, the, the next of kin of this individual, acquired him. Not the people that he wrote to. Not the people to whom the assets, the other assets were addressed. ומוקמינן לה בגמרא, שזיכן לו על ידי אחר. ופליגה עם אמרינן הוקיח סופרת פילתו. Without going into all the details over here, basically, the, the root of this debate pertains to what? It pertains to who gets first dibs. In such a case, the initial comments of this, this guy who's either very old or passing away or whatever, and he's writing his will, he presents himself as not caring for his servants. What does that mean? It means he's mafkir the servants. The servants are basically ownerless. So... If they're ownerless, and the Gemara goes on to say, we're talking about a case here where the servants were acquired by somebody else um, on, on behalf of either the inheritors or the, the, other, the others, which, whichever comes first. The Gemara says in such a case, do we assume that the intention of the individual follows his first remarks or his, his uh, final remarks. See, the Gemara later concludes and says that at the end, he's sover, he, he's, he's, he's uh, upset about the incident. He screams about it and says, no, no, that's not what I intended. I, 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 I don't want these servants. But when, he, when the servants were first acquired, he didn't say anything about it. Right? So, which side of this guy's testimony do we accept? Do we accept the side that had his, uh, his, his company men or his kids or whoever, whoever acquired the servants on his behalf? Do we accept the side that accepted the servants through a third party where he didn't say anything, he just accepted it? Or do we accept the side where he made a big deal about it at the end? In that case, and also in um, a similar case that Haramban talks about regarding a matana, uh, this, this would apply to any generic gift, is safek. To safek. This is also, uh, the, the same case is brought down in the Maramba, Batrada, Koflam, and Zayn, and Bet, and Haramban presents this uh, as follows. He says, if a person acquires a gift, and the gift is accepted by the third party, let's, let's assume it's a, a Rolex, for argument's sake, and um, later on, the owner, of, this new owner of the Rolex says, you know, I, I, I really don't want this. Why did you accept this on my behalf? This is, this is not for me. 
Rambam says the ownership of this item is in the status of Safek. We don't know if we're going to follow his silence. It's a good question, by the way, because usually we say Shatika Lavoda. Uh, a person's silence is not akin to him agreeing to something. So that's perhaps a discussion, a uh, question worth look, looking into. But for, for the Talmud, for Hambam, it's uncertain if we follow the silence of the individual as acceptance or if we follow the remarks he makes at the end protesting to acquiring the servants or the item or the Rolex or whatever it is. Obviously, just as a parenthesis, I'm not, God forbid, equating human beings to Rolexes. This is uh, this is purely uh, an example that the Gemara gives for legal purposes and for legal discussion, just to get the principle across. Having said that, Baham ben Sion brings us back to our case. Ulfizeh, based on this analysis, meyushevet sugyadi chorot haniskeret le'el. The topic that we mentioned regarding the, the Kohen and the, the redeeming of the firstborn that we mentioned earlier says it makes perfect sense now. Kemin Homer, it's a it's a it's a strict position that's adopted. The Kevan de Nachtina Mekumram is feka bedin okiachilato, mimela hacha bedin pidyon haben. Kevan de Hazi Sheroseha ab Kesefa Pidyon uh Hazara Okiachilato. He says we, we, we can take the same resolution that we adopted regarding these two previous cases and plug it into the case of the father and the Kohen. Since it is, excuse me, since it's unclear if the father intended to, uh, if the father intended to present himself as he originally did, which seemed genuine, Right? Stafful if we follow that, or if we follow his later intentions where he's presenting himself as wanting the money back. We don't know which of these two emotional states is his true intention. Even if you want to adopt the position that matters of the heart are null and void. He says, that's irrelevant. I don't even need for you to bring the canon of matters of the heart are null and void because I have another canon. And that is the canon of the doubt of, or actually um, the, the consideration of his, of one's um, final actions proving one's initial intent. And due to the uh, a matter of doubt, he says that's why Harambam says that the the pidyon haben does not take effect in such a case because of, because the the pidyon has to be uh, done in undoubtful states. We have a rule in halacha: somebody who wants to withdraw or uh, extract money from another Jew has the burden of proof to, to present that he's owed that debt. If the case is doubtful, then I don't have proof to present that the debt was paid. Right? If I'm a father, I'm, and I'm redeeming my firstborn, 
and I can't definitively prove that I paid for the first for my firstborn son to be redeemed, then the pidyon is not good. Amor me'ata, we can now conclude shegam bimkom shedvarim shevadev enam devarim in b'sopo shel davar asam ha'aseh shehokiyach sefuat filato ha'vesfeka v'natim ba'zeh lekumra lishnei tzadim. He says, in, similarly, in in in, um, in in all instances where we can uh, present the canon of where the end actions of an individual reflect on the initial intentions, we have to be strict. Yeah, we have to be strict for uh, applying the status of doubt in both cases. And he says, therefore... With regard to these converts who are not so observant, even if we don't include their um, uh, personal unspoken intentions, if the convert does something that he, he does something that indicates that he did not truly uh, intend to intend to uh, convert sincerely. Whereby he is not, uh, he presents himself as not accepting the yoke of the misvot to observe them. He has the status of a safek ger. I'm going to end off here for the reading of Chacham Ben Sion's words inside, but the basis for raising this question in the first place actually goes back to um, Harambam himself. Harambam, in uh, chapter 14 of Yisurebiyah, which you see over here in front of you, talks about the procedural standards of a Din. And you'll notice over here in Ha'cha Yod Dalet, in most editions, in other editions, Ha'cha Yod Zayin, the Harambam um, presents a, a case where a Beddin converted an individual without thorough investigation, or whereby they didn't go through the procedure that the Gemara outlines. They didn't inform him of the misvot and the, the, the reward and punishment for them. But verbal procedure aside, they did valid milah, they did tevilah for him. Harambam says this, is, this person is still a convert. Even where it's apparent that the guy is or the girl is converting for ulterior motives, let's say it's for marriage or whatever the case is. Since the guy did Milai, did he's no longer a Gentile. Key, key term here. But we are concerned for his status. Until his righteousness is made clear. This line right here is the subject of great debate among the Posakim. Chacham Ben Sion takes this at face value. He, he takes this at face value in the sense that we really don't know their status. And where do we say that this clause applies? It applies where A, the convert has no idea what he's doing, or he's violating the Torah from the get-go because... Well, he, he had other, other uh, motives in mind. Chacham um, Sion goes on to point out that this whole discussion does not apply where 
it's obvious and clear that the convert did accept the mitzvah and he was righteous for a period of time. What that period of time is, Chacham Ben Zion does not specify. But where it is clear that he adopted the mitzvot sincerely, but down the road he forgo uh, observe, an observant life, then we don't say this. Then even according to Chacham Ben Zion, certainly according to other posikim, but according to Chacham Ben Zion, there's no doubt that this guy is Jew. What's doubtful is the status of a convert who from the get-go, right after he comes out of the mikveh, right after she comes out of the mikveh, is driving a car on Shabbat. That's where Chacham Ben Sion is talking about uh, doubtful status. Okay. I can go on a little further unless there are questions. I'm happy to save the rest of the time for questions. I have a question. Please. Um, the words of the Rambam are a little troubling in that uh, I believe you said um, before it, that it's noda. If it's known, so it sounds to me like he's saying that the Bet Dean could possibly know in advance that the person's gear was not sincere, but yet they go through it with it and convert him anyway. Yes. So that's very, very interesting because it sounds to me as though the Bedin is 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 being negligent in that regard, which is part of the problem. So it's very, very good that you bring that point up. Uh, let me pull up something for you that Harambam alludes to earlier. In Halafayot Bet, he says because of the Doubt, because of the ulterior motives that were common in the days of David HaMelech, lo kiblu betin gerim, kol yemei David u'shilomo. Throughout the entire reign of David and Shilomo, the Sanhedrin did not, and the and, and the, the, the various district courts under the Sanhedrin did not accept converts. She'el amina pachad hazru. Maybe they're doing so out of fear. And to the contrary, in the days of Shalomo, could be maybe because they were doing so well, everybody wants to be a Jew. That's fashionable. Um, but he says, says, Even after the moratorium placed on conversion, you had many who converted Bifnei Hediotot. Bifnei Hediotot, Kesef Mishneh, Maranabi Yosef Karo points out over here, are courts that were unsanctioned by the Sanhedrin, but nevertheless, from the point of view of law, had the ability to function as courts for the purposes of admitting um, of admitting Jews into the Jewish people. There's no halakha that says these hediotot couldn't operate, but it was against the procedures that the Sanhedrin had in effect during that period of time. And the same word is used by Hanambam. Same thing as we said before uh, regarding the status of uh, the converts who are not observant in the ghetto. Also over here, they were doubtful. You can't turn them away because they still did Milan Tevila. They also were not they did not fully incorporate them into the Jewish people until they saw the end result of these people. There's more I could say about this, but your point about Noda is already addressed by Hanum. Good point. Good question. Any other questions? 
Is there any suffix? And right now they're in a suffix, let's say, according to Rambam. Yeah. Do we treat them any differently? Is there any nafkamina that we would treat them any differently? Yes. Nafkamina is as follows. You're not going to marry them off to a Jew. But just like you have the by a Shituki or an Asufi, let's say you find a kid in the street, no idea where he came from. He has a status of suffect too. Um, you don't marry such a person to a Jew. Uh, by the same token, let's say let's say the couple's married, right? So it's a good question. Do we say um, do we do we say that we're kofimotam? We force the couple to get divorced? I don't know. It's a good question. Do they observe nida if they're going to remain together? Yes, misafek they do. Does does the ger have to still observe Shabbat? Yes, he still has to observe Shabbat. Again, lechumra it goes lechumra both ways. Um, what's what's interesting though is that based on what Harambam says both in Halakha Yodbet and Yodalet a second conversion would not need to be done if the convert makes apparent their intentions at the end then great but what's apparent is final. So in other words, if it's apparent to Bedin that the conversion never took hold to begin with, the whole thing was absolute sheker v'chazav, we have texts proving it, nothing was intended, then nothing happened over here. If there's a safek regarding the guy's intention, and later it's, it's, it's actually apparent that he, he, he chose to adopt the position of, of being observant and, and uh, grew in his observance, we'll say, then, the end does resolve the initial status of the person once it's clear. Okay. Uh, I hope that addresses that question. Could these patedin be the hediotot uh, consist of getting themselves? Harambam doesn't address that directly. That's a that's a big debate among the Acharonim. From Harambam, from the Shulchan Aruch, there's no explicit source that that restricts Gerim from serving on Bateidin for conversion. Although those of us in the know do know that that's not the norm because we try to avoid all doubt regarding conversion. There's even a single opinion that's against something. We try to avoid it so that people um, don't poke holes. I'll point out one final thing in the Teshuvah, which is that of Berit Milan. It's another Nakamina. Let's say you have a child from this convert. Ahamed Sion says, Milan Shabbat, let's say the child's Berit Milan falls out on Shabbat. Milan Shabbat only applies to full-fledged Jews. If a person is not a Jew, or if the Milan is for conversion, let's say, Okay, then the conversion can wait till tomorrow. I don't need to violate Shabbat for the Brit Milan. Says, says Hametzion, even the, he says, uh, it's actually, it's kind of worth seeing inside. He says, Mo'alim have to be very careful. Because, uh, because uh, 
Shulchan Aruch says that you cannot do Milan Shabbat for a non-Jewish child. Okay. Uh, he goes on to talk about Pidyon Aben and what's the status of a... He ends up concluding in his Teshuvah that this, the, the child born to a woman who is pregnant at the time of conversion who wishes to do a Pidyon Aben or a Mila has the child not only... Uh, obligated in Milan. Not only is the child obligated in Milan, Pidyon Aben, the child is obligated from the point of view of being a Jew and not a Ged. That's very, very important because you're, if, if the child is a Ger, there's no Pidyon Aben that's required. Um, and if the child is a Ger, then you can't do the Milan Shabbat. Alternatively, if the child is a, was a girl, if we're dealing with a female, then she cannot marry a Kohen. Whereas for Chacham Ben Sion, uh, this is, and he, he goes on in the, in the uh, throughout the rest of the Teshuvah to prove this through careful analysis, he says even for Ashkenazim, the child has a full-fledged status of being a Jew, she can marry a Kohen, and he must be circumcised on Shabbat with Pidyon Aben. Um, for those who know, Alava Shalom, Rabbi David Lurfield of Miami, I once asked him this very question. I was dealing with a case of a care that was consulting me for some advice. And his wife, it's a long story, but basically the wife in the question was pregnant and um, she had not yet converted. And he says, I'm, I'm happy to take care of the, the conversion, the giur. But is she pregnant? Pause. On second thought, Yosef, don't tell me. I don't need to know. It's irrelevant for this purpose. The child's going to be a Jew anyway. So it's a very, very important lesson for people in the process of Gibor. I wish more Batedin were aware of this because unfortunately it's a very contentious point where many Batedin nowadays will harass converts in the process for a variety of reasons. One of which is this, you're dealing with the case of a child who is a woman who's pregnant and they uh, erroneously, according to Chacham Ben Sion, adopt the position that the child is not Jewish. All right. Super fascinating. If anyone has any questions, comments, you can raise your hand or unmute right in the chat box. Um, I'll start off by, by asking, why can't we say that when they, they're mitgayer and then we yeah. see them directly violate uh, the Torah, they drive afterwards. Why can't we say that only reveals, meaning it doesn't reveal that they didn't accept all Torah mitzvot. They accepted all Torah mitzvot. They just feel they can't do it yet. Meaning, they they believe that and they'll they'll be punished. They believe that this is something they need to do. It's not that I I converted without accepting it. I accepted it. I'm just weak. I can't do it. That's a very good question, and that's that position is actually what the Achiezer and what many Achronim adopt. Um, famously adopted this view. Rabbi Moshe Diram also Jerba famously adopted this view. He was regarding a famous, a, somewhat of a famous case of an Israeli uh, basketball player in the 70s who was going to convert. 
But he said, Rabbi, I'm playing basketball on Shabbat. It's going to involve me being in a bus. It's going to involve me doing minor Isurei Derbanan on Shabbat. He converted. Well, excuse me. He approved of the conversion. I don't believe he converted him, but he approved of the conversion for this reason. Chacham ben Sion, we didn't read this inside. He 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 believes the conversion does not take hold in such a case because he views the conversion as a transaction. Legally, there's a uh, a matana being given, so to speak, to him, which is the conversion. That minor point over there is a what leads Chacham ben Sion to relate this to the other cases of monetary transaction where the person's intentions seemingly rejecting the gift uh, put put the status of the gift in jeopardy. But B, he also doesn't prove that point. It's interesting. He doesn't prove that conversion is a matana. It's kind of uh, he, he leaves it open-ended, which is interesting. I don't know why he does that. Harav Moshe Feinstein Shalom, does the same thing, by the way. Harav Moshe Feinstein talks about Ger Katan, regarding a child who is being brought up in, in a non-observant home. Question, famous, famous question, famous dilemma that always comes up in cases like this in America in particular. Do we convert, does the Bedin convert the child if the household that he's being brought up in is not observant? From a simple understanding, the, the Gemaran, their, uh, particularly Sefaradi, Akronim, adopt this position. The Gemaran says that the Bedin acts on behalf of the child because it's a zechut. It's a merit for the child to be a Jew. And we say, adam The Bedin can merit and acquire the status of the, of, of the child without his ability to consent. If he openly rejects the conversion upon Bar Mitzvah, that's a separate story. But Arav Moshe Feinstein says, what good is it if he's growing up in a, in a non-observant home? It, it, does, it does nobody any good. And uh, th- this cannot be done. Um, because the transaction, again, Arav Moshe Feinstein goes back to the idea of, of, of this being a transaction, never takes hold in the first place. Um, this is a, it's a view adopted by some, not by all. And is there a remedy to the situation once there's, there? okay, now there's safik? Can they remedy that by proving that, going back on the intention? So I addressed that earlier. I Chacham Ben-Sion doesn't say so explicitly, but I think it's clear from, from Hanabam that according to this approach, if they present themselves as fully observant and they they are very clearly Ba'alet Teshuvah, then their status is no longer doubtful if they act in accordance with all other observant Jews. Hanbam gives examples. They're mafrish teromotu maserot. They, they observe Shabbat. They're no head kiminhag Israel. Then it's, uh, then, then this poses no problem. But if it is obvious and apparent that from the get-go there was no Kabbalat HaMitzvot, then um, it's not so clear. It's not so clear. Of course, see, seemingly Chacham Ben Sun would say that no conversion ever took place. That's a view that's adopted by many, but not everybody accepts that. My, this is my personal view. With all due respect, I'm a, I, I don't even come to the toenails of Chacham Ben Sion, but um, the Munkatcher Rebbe Alav Shalom Rebbe, 
uh, uh, Jakob Spira of Munkach was famous for his view of Koshishimlo, that statement of Parambam, Koshishimlo Ashe Kuto, applies with regard to the converts Neemanut. Not to his status, but to his Neemanut. In other words, he has the status of a full-fledged Jew. That's why Harambam says his Kiddushin is still a Kiddushin. Chacham Ben Tzion says, no, Harambam's talking about a case where he later was not observant. That's where Harambam says his Kiddushin is Kiddushin. The Minchad Lazar says, no, even if the guy was not observant from the get-go, he's still a Jew, but I'm not going to trust him to be an Ed. I'm not going to trust him to sit on a Bedin. I'm not going to eat in this guy's home. He's not going to be the mashkiach in the restaurant, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. That's so. It's a, it's a position that um, is accepted by many batedin, and I think it's one that's also worth being aware of. On some level, you can kind of see the advantage of having, on the one hand, a standardized daya for conversion as opposed to every individual bit dean having their own standards. You can kind of see that as an advantage on the one hand. Uh, but we know that on the other hand, every independent bit dean has the ability to have their own standards, particularly for conversion. But in this, it kind of makes sense to have one way of thinking. Either we're going to hold like the Munkacha Rebbe does, or we're going to hold by Rabbi Siyot Shaul. The problem, there's an advantage to it. Certainly there's an advantage to having a unified standard of, uh, of, of, of conversion procedure when it comes to removing all these cases of doubt. The problem with that is that that's just not what the law, uh, what, what, what the law sets forth. Even in the days of Shalom and David, we saw that the great Sanhedrin can have a certain procedure intact in and you can have these Hedyotot come along and uh, legally perform conversions that are unsanctioned by, by the big boss. Um, the reason for that, Maran writes in Vet Yosef, I, I believe in this Siman, the Siman that we quoted. It's, it goes back to the rule of When it comes to matters of conversion, we always, assuming minimal standards are met, everything follows the oh, how do I phrase this? Not the conjecture, but the subjectivity of the case presented before the Betim. That's why the Gemaran Shabbat, uh, I believe that it's a famous case where Hillel converted a guy who famously said, I want to be a Kohen Gadol. Right? Uh, another case where he said, I accept the Torah Shediktav and not the Torah Shediktav. Oh, Hillel converted Karaites? No. Hillel saw for whatever reason, that there's hope that this guy is going to be a great Sadiq. That was enough. That was enough for Hilal to convert the individual. So, again, I think uh Lazar Shapira's famous, Minchad um, Lazar's famous stance of uh, not holding the, that convert in a status of position of Neemanut, my humble opinion, it's, it's more sensible. I'm not here to discuss that every day. I just, right, that's, that's, that, that requires a separate shiwa. This is Haram Ben Sion's position, nevertheless. It's, it's one that's worth being uh, aware of.
Next time, God willing, we're going to discuss, I hope, the status of born Jews who are Nechadale Shabbat, who violate Shabbat in open. Also, very common case that as rabbis and as lay people, we all have to deal with, particularly, actually not. I think equally uh, an issue in Israel and abroad alike. So, not going to discuss next time. Okay, thank you so much, Rabbi. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. Very uh, looking forward for your future classes. We can continue learning and hopefully in times of peace as well. Uh, that's all, everyone. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, everybody.